right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle. Right in the middle of Heartland USA. Heartland USA. Welcome to Deviate with Rolf Potts, where I talk with experts, public figures, and interesting people about fascinating topics that meander off topic. Today is the season four debut of Deviate. The core theme is five lessons you can lose it, use at home. That's my wife laughing in the background. <laughs> I'm not your wife. <laughs> Which draws, what are you? I'm your fiance. It's such a dumb word. It is a dumb word. Which draws on an essay I wrote for Tim Ferriss' blog 10 years ago. Now, that was a decade before the coronavirus pandemic turned the travel world upside down, but it feels like this is a great occasion to revisit that essay in light of the fact that those of us who love travel are all spending a lot more time at home than we would be. <laughs> Can you hear the cat? It's okay, cutie <laughs> Helping me explore this topic is Kristen Bush, a.k.a. Kiki, my pandemic sweetheart, who you might remember from episode 142, which is about love and death and nostalgia. Kiki, what are we doing right now? We are driving to Colorado. So uh, technically we are traveling. Yes, we are. Uh, and so even though this essay will be about the five travel lessons that you can use at home, technically we are traveling in our own close to home sort of way. And we're not alone. We're, we're, we're transporting a cat across state lines. Yeah, actually season four will consist of nothing but cat noises. <laughs> I, I have an outline that I made to myself that I can't read. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> this is the worst season uh, intro uh, ever done. I think you mean the most real, the, the bestest. We're keeping it real uh, here in um, in this car, uh, Interstate seventy. Wait, I have to mention that we're passing by a sign for the Garden of Eden. Garden of Eden. A visit to Kansas is not complete without a visit to Lucas, Kansas. We should just make this a Kansas pod uh, travel podcast. I think so. Next exit, quilts and food, arts and crafts. What are you looking for? Well, I think I need to put in a new battery. Ah. Do you, do you even pay any attention to like when seasons begin and end podcasts? I do not Katie? pay any yeah. attention to that. I don't either. So I'm going to apologize in advance uh, to my audience uh, for the fact that maybe nobody really cares that this is the season four debut, and maybe, maybe we should just let my wife drive. No, I'm fine. I just got distracted by the most visited brewery sign in Kansas. Oh, is it in Hayes, Kansas? I don't know. I didn't see where it was. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the first time that um, this travel podcast is being done while I'm traveling. It's a live look-in at a road trip through western Kansas. Uh, it's not very exotic, guys, I know. But um, I have to go with my sweetheart, with my pandemic sweetheart, who is not yet my wife, uh, to Colorado, cavort in the snow with her very difficult cat, which is not her cat, it's her parents' cat. <laughs> this is the worst podcast episode ever. I'm asleep. <laughs> Guys, just um, go to the show notes at rolfplots.com slash deviate. You can find more information about my Paris writing <laughs> classes, which I'm doing this summer. Kiki's actually helping me. She's a classically trained actor. Um, she's going to be doing a lot of the uh, exercises in the city. Um, you'll probably like her more than you like me, but um, I'm actually teaching uh, the lessons about travel writing itself. If you're interested in writing travel memoir, be it essay length or book length, uh, check it out. Just come to rolfpots.com slash deviate. Look at the show notes. I have information or just go to ParisWritingWorkshops.com. That's my website. I am doing some 
one-week classes this summer. Fingers crossed about the, uh, the what is it called? Oh, the pandemic, right? The pandemic, right. This cat, this cat. I've never traveled with him like when he's been like this. Let's give him, maybe it's just maybe that he we, likes us so much and he, he wants to be, to be hanging out with maybe us. Maybe when we stop for Abby's chicken fingers, we can give him <laughs> another one. <laughs> This episode is brought to you by, by Arby. Arby's Chicken Fingers. <laughs> by Arby's Chicken Fingers. Oh, God. Do you just want to just jump right into the yes. five travel lessons you can use at home? Yes. So the five travel lessons you can use at home, the five principles I introduced are, one, time equals wealth. Two, be where you are. Three, slow down. Four, keep it simple. And five, don't set limits. And... The reason I came up with this five list of things comes from my lecture at the Do Lectures in Wales. And Kiki, actually, you've known about the Do Lectures since before you knew me, right? I like some of their books, yeah. Yeah. So it's a lecture series. It's sort of like a granola crunchy TED Talks. I'm sorry, Do Lectures, if that's not exactly what you are, but that's sort of how I see it. And one thing that grabbed me um, as I was giving this speech is sort of I improvised at the beginning talking about how these aren't really travel-specific challenges. These are things that can apply to life in general. Think of travel as a metaphor for how you live your life at home. Uh, so number one, I'm going to just read you what I wrote for the blog, and we can just think out loud about it. One, time equals wealth. By far the most important lesson travel teaches you is that your time is all you really own in life. And the more you travel, the more you realize that your most extravagant possessions can't match the satisfaction you get from finding new experiences, meeting new people, and learning new things about yourself. Value is a word we often hear in day-to-day -day life, but travel has a way of teaching us that value is not pegged to a cash amount, that the best experiences in life can be had for the price of showing up, be it to a festival in Rajasthan, a village in an Italian countryside, or a sunrise 10 minutes from your home. Scientific studies have shown that new experiences and memories they produce are more likely to produce long-term happiness than new things. Since new experiences aren't exclusive to travel, consider ways to become time-rich at home. Spend less time working on things you don't enjoy and buying things you don't need. Spend more time embracing the kinds of activities, learning new skills, meeting new people, spending time with friends and family that make you feel alive and part of the world. Your, your situation is quite extraordinary because at the beginning of the pandemic, you were in Europe, you were in Berlin, and then you came home, then you met me. Um, so how have we manifested time wealth in this time that we have not been able to travel? Well, I feel like time has both contracted and expanded since the pandemic. It feels to me like we, we've been given this indeterminate amount of time that we have to kind of stay at home and focus on the things that we can do, whether it's you know, doing podcasts or me trying to wrap together some work from your closet. Voiceover as, work. As a voiceover artist, as opposed to being on the stage or auditioning for many things, we've been given this weird cauldron of time that has felt very concentrated. Some of the more beautiful things that I've, that I've experienced with you have just been the simple events of like sitting on your porch and you've kind of showed me some of the constellations or explained which ones they are. Um, and I've really fallen in love with Kansas again. It's been, that's been a real joy. And it's not been travel per se, because that's where we live, but I feel like I've seen my own home state with fresh eyes. Well, I think you're onto something there. And I don't want to make it seem like we're the exemplary, we have time wealth mastered type Not people. at all. But I have done 
since the pandemic and since I've met you, I've spent way more time just sort of letting time stand still on my deck, you know, watching. Have you done it more since, since yeah. you've been with me? Well, I'll take that as a compliment. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, oftentimes I will go out and I'll wake up and just start working. Whereas right. with you, I drink coffee and we redo each other yeah. or we watch the sun come up or we watch the colors change over the course of the day. And that's nice. You know, in a way, I have been able to see my home in a new way. Actually, I'm going to go to, to part number two because it ties into this. Number two is be where you are. And this is what I wrote 10 years ago. I say, a great thing about travel is that it forces you into the moment. When you're celebrating a carnival in Rio, riding a horse on the Mongolian steppe, or exploring a souk in Damascus, there's a giddy thrill of being exactly where you are and allowing things to happen. In an age when electronic communications enable us to be permanently connected to and distracted by the virtual world, there's a narcotic thrill in throwing yourself into a single place, a single moment. Would you want to check your bank account statement while exploring Machu Picchu in Peru? Are you going to interrupt an experience of the Russian White Nights in St. Petersburg to check your Facebook feed? Of course not. When you travel, you get to embrace the privilege of witnessing life as it happens before your eyes. This attitude need not be confined to travel. At home, how often do you really need to check your email or your Twitter feed? When you get online, are you there for a reason or are you simply killing time? For all the pleasures and entertainments of the virtual electronic world, there's no substitute for real life conversation and connection, for getting ideas and entertainment from the people and places around you. Even at home, there are sublime rewards to be had for unplugging from online distractions and embracing the world before your eyes. Now, this feels like something that's very relevant. I think that you're actually better at this than me. I, think I do think I am actually not to toot my own horn, but I'm not, I gave up that stuff, that stuff a while ago because, not because I think I'm a better person, but because I recognized how insidious it was for me. Mm -hmm. I became, I, I remember when I was on Instagram, I would check that thing, uh, I don't even know, I lost count. It was the dopamine hit of opening it, opening it up and trying to see if there was a little heart or something like that was so strong that I knew I couldn't, I couldn't only check it a few times a day. I had to, I had to pull myself off of it. And I honestly, there has not been a single day where I've regretted that decision. But you also talk about, and we can go back to this, but you also talked about the, the first part of being where you are. And I think that had you told me, okay, when you're, you know, early forties, you're going to be back in Kansas. I would have gotten really sad, but because of the circumstances, because of meeting you, because of the fact that we're in this crazy time in history, I'm so grateful to be close to the people that mean the most to me. And your town or the town that's near you has become like this new discovery um, for me. There's a bakery. There's, oh my gosh, when, when things open up again, there's an art house cinema. There's a coffee shop. There are all of these things that otherwise I wouldn't have paid attention to in this little town. And this is Salina, Kansas specifically. It's about 50,000 people, but it's it's funny that I've been to the art center before. I've never been to that bakery. It's funny it's that great. meeting you There's a allowed me to find like a food co-op and a bakery and actually a butcher yeah. um, that are all locally owned that, you know, just sort of in, in my haste and my traveling a lot, you know, and sort of being utilitarian about the town near where my ranch is. Um, you helped me see things that I didn't see for 15 years. And I think, you know, I think one thing that really intrigued me about you early on is that you didn't use Instagram. And I think sometimes we can um, 
we think about things in life, oh, she's principled for not using Instagram. Actually, Instagram stressed you out. It did. It made and, me a and, worse person. Yeah, and it's not like you abstractly decided that Instagram was going to improve your life. It's that you acknowledged that being addicted to a platform like Instagram just wasn't good for you and you completely eliminated yeah. it from your life. No, and I have so many friends and you who are on social media and they've social media enhances their lives. Some of my small town friends say that they don't know where to get their news otherwise. You know, is school closed? Well, they hear it first on Facebook before they hear it from the, you know, the USD notice or something like that. Mm -hmm. But I just know life is so short. There are so many books to read. There are so many recipes to cook. There are so many, I should draw again. I should journal. There are so many things that I would rather do than be sucked down that vortex. And I'm not, I am not virtuous. I love a good cat video. I love it when you send me all of those animal things from Twitter, Twitter, which Seth Meyers says, and I do watch Seth Meyers online. Seth Meyers says that the inter internet was invented to have cat videos. That, and I agree, that's what it's for, for me. Right, yeah, cats and rage. Uh, but yeah, I think this is, that, that metaphor that you go to the other side of the world, I think in the years since I wrote this essay, people do spend a lot of time on their phone on the other side of the world. They'll, they'll literally be on Instagram when they're in Russia and Namibia or wherever. And actually the last time, not the last time, but once you and I went to Colorado and we hiked into this beautiful lake and there was a couple there, not to knock air quotes influencers too much, but they, they were primping and they were sort of posing. Well, um, we were guessing, we were trying to guess what they were doing because yeah. they got out some some kit and she started to spray something in her hair. This was in Rocky Mountain National Park. Right. He like, I don't know, made sure that his shirt was tight enough. I am going to go there. Sorry. Right. And, and I thought they were, I thought they were European and you thought they were Instagrammers and you were right. They might've been European Instagrammers, Ooh. but, but they, that's what they were doing. And it's hard. We, I struggle with this and I talk to you about this a lot, how I don't think I'm better. I really don't but I'm actively trying to be present in the moment. And it's just so easy to take pot shots at people who are, and maybe they were really being present, I don't know. But I think it's, for me, it was a lot harder to be absolutely where I was when I was checking Instagram. Well, this is a conversation that I, it feels like is going to be years, if not decades. Like, how do we split performing parts of ourself for an audience that might appreciate it and might make us feel better about ourselves versus just sort of engaging in the essence of life. When you're with your parents, you're spending time with your parents on, on a Christmas holiday. When you're traveling on the other side of the world, you're, you're smelling this air and you're not putting a black mirror between yourself and your experience of the rest of the world. And you know what makes it tricky is that everybody has their phone now as their camera. So when you go to take a shot, you don't just take out a camera that can't connect you to the rest of the world you know that's I think by virtue of that being our camera nowadays it makes it so much easier just to be like oh well my phone's already out I might as well I heard yeah. a ding and I've noticed I don't know if you've noticed this but since I've been traveling internationally it's so much over the past 20 years or so it's so much easier now to check your phone because Wi-Fi is more prevalent um, well, it's it's better they're better signals well also local people are doing the same thing. And this is something I exactly. discovered when I went to Sumatra a couple of years ago, um, is that, you know, it used to be that you were the traveler in, in a country that's not as wealthy as a Western country, that you're the person with the camera, so you had to be very careful about taking pictures. Well, now 
smartphone cameras are ubiquitous, even in a place like Sumatra, which isn't necessarily a wealthy country, but a lot of young people. It's, it's the first time I've ever been a traveler and more local people ask me for a picture with them than I asked for a picture of them. They, they basically, I was the exotic outsider. Sumatra isn't visited, or at least the parts of Sumatra I went to are not as visited as other parts of Indonesia. And their way of engaging with the world was also centered around their phone. You know, they, they thought it would be cool to get a picture with an American. Right. And so not only are we getting reception in these parts of the world where we used to just sort of have our own resources, but also local people are interfacing with the world through their phones too. So I think it's like this three-dimensional chess game and it's hard to figure out what, which moves are next when you want to be in the moment. And they're not all bad. I mean, it's a, it's a, great, a, great, it's a great equalizer. You know, you don't have to be wealthy anymore to have a phone. Everyone can have one, and I think everyone should have one, but I think that it, they're the best way to take you out of the present. They really are, and I think, you know, when I talk to younger travelers, I, I say, think of it as time travel. Think of it as going back to 1989, that long ago era, when you didn't have the option of having a smartphone, right. because there's some younger travelers I've talked to that I said, well, just leave it in your, leave it in your yeah. hostel or your guest house, and they'll get nervous, right. and it's like, well, actually, it's not that complicated. It's not that historically old. I mean, this is, this is very new that we've had the option. No, and, and you that, and I are in a generation that grew up, we were adults before the smartphone, and now we're, you know, further adults with the smartphone. So we remember this before and after. And there have been times when I've, say, forgotten my phone. It's rare, but there are times when I've forgotten it. And it's such, you talk about time travel. It's like you go back to in my case, in my 20s, when I didn't have this thing that was attached to the hip that I had to check all of the time. And there's something really liberating about it. Yeah. I mean, especially when I, when I was first in London, they have this little book. Well, there's a bigger book, but you can, there's a mini one that I had called the A to Z um, that had every street there. And I navigated my way through London for many years with my little dog-eared copy of the A to Z. And now you don't need when I lived in LA, they had the Thomas guy that you kept, it was huge, biblically big, that you kept in the back of your car. And now you don't, you don't need to know how to read a map. It's funny how this, you know, point number two, be where you are, which I wrote 10 years ago, it's changed. It's a technological yeah. challenge. What did it mean when you were writing it more? Well, um, it, it's like, don't check your email or your Twitter right. or whatever. 10 years ago. Don't go to the internet cafe in lieu of well, something else. Smartphones were a lot newer. I don't think I had a smartphone 10 years ago. Um, some people did. A lot of people did. I didn't. I didn't either. But um, what used to be just, I, I think even before email, this was an admonition. It's like, well, don't don't read your book when you could be out walking in the street. Don't right. watch TV at your hostel when you could be out having adventures in this but new place. But that comes back from like even on a nice day. What are you kids doing watching TV? Go outside right. and play. You know, I mean, that's, you talk about travel lessons when you're at home. And there's something true to that. Like yeah. get outside on a nice day. Yeah. I just think technology has, has tightened the screws. Is that um, my point when I wrote this 10 years ago is pretend that home is an exotic land. Would you waste time with your screen in an exotic land? 10 years ago, that would have seemed absurd. Now it's so convenient that so much is done through the screen you hold in your hand yeah. that it's a technologically bigger challenge. And this whole be where you are thing now is really a, a smartphone issue as much as anything. Yeah. Um, 
point three I want to bring up now is three is slow down. I'm wondering how technological this might be. I'll read what I wrote 10 years ago. One of the advantages of long-term travel as opposed to a short vacation is that it allows you to slow down and let things happen. Freed from tight itineraries, you begin to see the kinds of things <laughs> Sorry. The kind of people <laughs> that most tourists overlook in their haste to tick attractions off a list. A host of multi-million dollar enterprises have been created to cater to the concept of leisure, both at home and on the road, but all too often this definition of leisure is as rushed and rigidly confined as your work life. Which is more emblematic of leisure? A three-hour spa session in the Boud Hotel or the freedom to wander Bali at will for a month? All too often, life at home is predicated on an irrational compulsion for speed. We rush to work, we rush through meals, we multitask when we're hanging out with friends. This might make our lives feel more streamlined in a certain abstracted sense, but it doesn't make our lives happier or more fulfilling. Unless you learn to pace and savor your daily experiences, even your work commutes and your noontime meals, you'll be cheating your days out of small moments of leisure, discovery, and joy. Well, first of all, I want to say that I would like both the three-hour session in the spa and a month in <laughs> Bali. I don't think you have to pick between the two. That's true. That's so that's true. all I have to say about that. Just joking. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, it, it's funny that one thing you are more of a foodie than me. I am. And one thing that you have given me crap about as you have moved into my house and my life is like eating lunch standing up over the sink, right? Which as a foodie is absurd to you, whereas I'm this guy who just wants to get back to his desk, but maybe I'm cheating the experience of lunch by eating my sandwich while looking out the window I and standing up. I am hardly up. so virtuous as that. I know of what I speak. I have many a meal consumed standing over the sink so the sink catches the crumbs instead of a plate <laughs> it's just so it's so much easier to see it in someone else you know i can see you being rushed or something and it's just like you've got all the time in the world to enjoy this delicious sandwich you know um but this is something that i've learned through other cultures um in germany when i would meet up with a friend for a coffee <laughs> the new yorker in me was like, oh, okay, that'll last 45 minutes, hour tops. Oh no, a coffee will last until you're done. And that might be a couple of hours. You'll see sometimes, I get such a kick out of Germans because when there's any sun in the wintertime, they come out in droves with their blankets and stuff like that. But they will luxuriate over a coffee with a friend for a long time. And that seems to be so much a healthier attitude than, right, gotta fit it in, gotta fit it in between my job or my audition or be between picking this up or whatever, it just, it values the, the friendship and, and the notion that you can not, that you can slow down. You don't have to run around too much. It, it would be interesting. It would almost be a, a strange reality show where you have like a pandemic cam in Germany and in, you know, Mozambique and in India, like while we're trapped in our own homes or while we are making the wise decision to socially isolate in our own homes, how many Indian or German or Mozambican people eat lunch over their sink, right? right? You know, like culturally, how are we navigating this pandemic in a different way? I suspect that people who have, who are less predicated on a cultural idea of efficiency are having more enjoyable meals during a pandemic. They are, I mean, more people are making sourdough bread and all of this kind of thing. It's also an, earl, an urban, rural thing. I know that when I lived in Berlin, people from outside of Berlin would be like, oh, it's so crazy there. 
and I'm thinking, oh, compared to New York, it's not. When I lived in London, people from outside of London thought it was just the craziest place and a lot of people would never move to London. So I think that there's a slowness that comes with rural life as well. I know that whenever I've come back to Sterling, to my hometown in Kansas, I don't know if you feel this way when you're home. I think you do. There's just a feeling of, I don't have to, don't have to stress out too much. I don't have to rush around. And there's an ease to it as well. Actually, one fun thing that's part of this conversation is now that you're in my house, you can sort of keep me accountable. Like I have always said, you know, put your screen away. I've always said, slow down as travelers. But you've seen me eat my lunch standing up. You've seen me pull up my screen when I don't need to do it. And so I think what that underscores is that I, probably like you, we're not perfect. Nobody is mastering the idea of time wealth or slowing down or these lessons you travel at home. Just like nobody is a perfect traveler. And one thing, I'm a little unsettled sometimes when you're in a hostel room full of travelers and people are trying to sort of show off of who's savvier, who's better, who's more well-traveled, when in fact, being vulnerable and being wrong sometimes and, and sort of correcting yourself, of not always being the person who's doing it right, but being the person who's trying to do it better is what counts. I'm gonna go down to number four, which is keep it simple. It feels like these are all sort of interwoven with each other. They're all sort of part and parcel of maybe a more spiritual and, and slow way of travel. Keep it simple, I wrote 10 years ago, travel naturally lends itself to simplicity since it forces you to reduce your day-to-day -day possessions to a few select items that fit in your suitcase or backpack. Moreover, since it's difficult to accumulate new things while you travel, you tend to accumulate new experiences and friendships instead. And these affect your lives in ways that mere things cannot. At home, abiding by the principles of simplicity can help you live a more deliberate and time-rich way. How much of what you own really improves the quality of your life? Are you buying new things out of necessity or compulsion? Do the things you own enable you to live more vividly, or do they merely clutter up your life? Again, researchers have determined that new experiences satisfy our higher order needs in a way that new possessions cannot. That Taking a friend to dinner, for example, brings more lasting happiness than spending that money on a new shirt. In this way, investing less in new objects and more in new activities can make your home life happier. This less materialistic state of mind will also help you save money for your next journey. What do you make of that? Well, there's a lot there. Uh, pridefully, I go, I think back to a time that I took, I was on a long distance hike by myself um, in Austria and I was staying at these various huttas, these various refugios and I had a pretty small pack for being gone for a week or whatever it was and these two, I've told you this, these two Austrian brothers who were probably in their late 50s or something, they were pretty gruff and my German was bad, my German is bad but the Austrian accent was so hard to understand but somehow we managed to communicate a little bit and we hiked a little bit together and one of them said to me Dein, deine Tasche ist, ist sehr klein. I don't think Tasche is the right word, but I was so proud because he said, your bag is really small. And I was like, yes, it is. I felt so gleeful that it was noticed as well. It wasn't just enough for me to be like, I packed really, you know, light. It's so much easier to hike when it's light like this. But somebody else who was, this guy was, was totally seasoned, he, he noticed it too. So I was like, yeah, I've passed the gruff Austrian guy test. But um, on a home front, I think I'm a lot more consumer-minded than maybe even you are. Um, even though you've 
you've accumulated a lot, but now you've gotten rid of a lot of stuff, which is which is kind of cool. But I, I think well, I, actually that'll come up later this okay, season of the podcast. Sorry. No, no, I'm, I'm not. I'm, I'm just saying that I'm, I can tease the podcast is that you and I recorded after our nostalgia episode last year. We, we talked about it some more simply because I wanted to talk about it more. But part of the reason why I've been forced to confront nostalgia is that I'm moving a lot of stuff out of my house to make room for you. Right. right? To make so, room for my crap. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, then, but you moving into my to our house has made us both think about well, what does this serve? I mean, now we have this Marie Kondo, does it spark joy thing? But actually, it's just a matter of what do we really need? Uh, and how does this serve a purpose? It's funny, while you're talking about meeting these Austrian guys who complimented you on your small pack, well, I went around the world with no luggage, as you know, 10 years ago, probably around the time I was writing this. And one thing that people wrote in was like, oh, I bet you smell bad. And, and one thing that flummoxed me after I did that for a while is like, no, I didn't stop bathing right. or washing my clothes because I'm carrying less. And I think we have sort of this materialistic way of thinking about how day-to-day life works, right? And so if you're carrying fewer clothes, you just wash them more often right. and you wash yourself more often. I was very clean on that trip. I'm just like I'm, I'm sure that when you were hiking with a small bag, you had sort of refined what you carried and you weren't less capable of hiking across the Alps. You just had figured out what exactly you needed to do that. And so I think how this transfers over to the home life is that we surround ourselves with stuff because we think we need it and then we forget why we have it, right? And so me throwing out a lot of my stuff or giving away a lot of my stuff or selling some of it to move you into my house has helped me realize that, oh, yeah, actually there was a time in my life where I thought this would deepen my experience of my home. Now I don't need it at all. I don't even know why I had it to begin with. Just like when people are traveling, they think, oh, well, you're going to be super dirty if you don't change your clothes every day. And it's like, yeah, actually, I do change my clothes every day and I wash my clothes every day. Just because I have two sets of clothes doesn't mean I'm dirtier than before. Just like all this crap I surround myself with at home doesn't necessarily serve a purpose in my life. Does that make sense? I think it makes sense, okay. yes. Okay. But I'm thinking, um, I just think it's funny that people are calling you dirty um, who don't know you. And I'm also thinking of just all the, all the stuff that I packed in the back of this car because we're traveling with a car. It's so much easier just to be like, oh, just shove that in. And I know I, I brought more clothes than I need to, especially because we're going to a place where I have some clothes. But even this morning, as I'm packing a bag, there's still the, oh, you might want that. Or, oh, you might want that extra lipstick for Colorado where no one's gonna see me but you. Right. You know, it just, it's silly. It's that, I and I think, I don't know, Americans do consumerism better than anybody else. And I know that after, I mean, don't get me wrong. I lived in Berlin and London, and they are every bit as consumeristic as we are. But I think we do it better. We've got more space. We've got three car garages as opposed to one. It's just if you've got the space, you can cram it full of stuff. And I, I see that in myself. Um, it's hard. It's hard to call that thinking from one's mind when that's what we've been raised with. I think travel helps that, you know. Well, I think there's a just-in-caseness to travel, and yeah. literally, this is funny that it's it's these lessons that these five lessons that were on Tim Ferriss's blog ten years ago that I really do believe in. But like at every point, I can see my own hypocrisy. Yeah. Well, but I, I put as, some, as you said, these are not. Nobody, they're not carving them in stone. They're more aspirational. 
no, I don't think you should beat yourself up every time you open up your Instagram account. Account. I don't. Right. I shouldn't like stop on the side of the road and throw out the extra sweaters that I brought. You know. Well, it helps us fine tune. It's it's just like yeah. oh yeah, yeah. Um, and, and so literally, there are some just in case items that I threw in, and this this goes back to our original trips to Colorado this summer, is that instead of taking a bag, um, like I. I talked about my, my trip to Sumatra and other parts of Asia two years ago. I was so strategic and so pleased with myself that I was able to take a small Tortuga bag, Deviate sponsor, Tortuga packs, <laughs> terrific bag. Um, I've heard they make really great Christmas presents. They do make good Christmas <laughs> presents, even though Christmas is over. I'm talking about um, for next year. <laughs> they are not formally sponsoring this podcast, but they probably will later this season. Anyway, that was an aside about my beloved uh, sponsor, Tortuga. Um, but I traveled across Asia for three months with a tiny bag that is literally smaller than the laundry basket that I just threw crap in every time I, we go to Colorado just because I can right. you know? I know it's the just-in-case items and I think that almost metaphorically that can apply to your home like how much crap do you have in your home just in case or it made sense five years ago to buy it and you haven't picked it up since or I mean, you've used it once or it was a gift from someone that you feel bad about throwing it out i mean there's so many reasons to accumulate things but it and it's not like we're trailblazing new ground here this is very zeitgeist material but i think that it's it's fascinating and it's so interesting to talk about because once you do put these statutes into your own life it feels it feels really good. We took a whole carload of, of your things and and gave them to a friend to sell them, and you didn't regret it on the way home at all, did you? I didn't, and a lot of those items were childhood items. Yeah. Like old hacky sacks and sports cards and, and little games, and those served their purpose in my life. Yeah. You know, those, those uh, made me happy when I was a kid. I saved them for a reason, probably because they didn't make me happy as a kid, but now they're gone, and I, I don't regret having lost them in part because having owned my house in Kansas for 15 years I know that I never did anything with that hacky sack I never really looked at those sports cards and so there's collectors out there who might like that vintage 1980s hacky sack um, that are that have been sold on eBay now and and so yeah again you know we have this Marie Kondo spark joy thing but I think it's really just a matter of you know what do these items serve in your life and in your house and I think one thing you know, you coming into my life sort of forced me to come to terms with what was dead weight in my own house. And so now, because what used to be my spare closet is now your voiceover studio <laughs> in a time of pandemic, it's an awesome voiceover studio. We can put a picture of it in the show notes. Um, that forces me to come to terms with the things that used to be in that closet that I never did things with, that sat there 15 years being untouched. And in a way, my relationship with those things has been transformed by the fact of giving them away, right? right. Um, or getting them out of my house. That it's in a way, and this is too perfect because this is a love relationship, but new relationships force you to come into contact with your own bad habits. You know, like these five principles have always been about the bad habits we get into as travelers. But even I, who's given these pieces of advice, I have bad habits that you've seen that maybe you've also had in your own life. Eating lunch too fast while standing up, opening Instagram when I don't need to do it, right? And so I think that's the great thing about new relationships or just new perspectives on your life is that it can keep you honest about things um, and just say, huh, yeah, let's let's turn this closet into a sound studio. I need 
95% of this stuff I have not touched in 15 years. Let's send it off down the road of life towards also, other purposes. You've, you've been so open to that though, too. You know, there's not, you haven't been begrudging about it at all. I think that you were ready for it. Sure, I might have been the catalyst who, you know, helped you get rid of some of those things, but you, you have not looked back and you didn't, you weren't begrudging about it. Well, well I, I would like to keep this 14 hacky sacks, but. <laughs> I think there's, there's the, we have that word hoarder, which is sort of a. Have you seen uh, the TV show? Well, I have not, but I know that it's a TV show. And it's this is the extreme version, but I think that we're all hoarders a little bit. Like it's, there's a spectrum of hoarding. And what I've realized, you said that I'm open to it, but I think also I've, I've, yeah, I could let go to all this stuff that I did not need. And I think everybody in life, people listening to this at home, probably have a spectrum hoarding relationship. There's some things in their life yeah. that they simply don't need. And maybe they don't have a new person in their life that they just fell in love with and they want to make room for. But maybe there are ways that you can declutter your own house in a way that can just give you a more enjoyable life and be able to focus on the things and the time in your home life in a way that, yeah, would I, would I be, would I need all this junk if I was traveling and, and having an exciting experience on the other side of the world, if I was in a Berlin or if I was in the countryside of Bangladesh? Well, probably not. And so life is precious and let's embrace moments instead of things. I think that's beautifully said. I think that you and I both could take a page out of how we travel, how we pack for travel. Maybe not today, today notwithstanding, but I've, I have gotten a lot better when I go traveling someplace because I know that a lot of times I'm not gonna use that extra thing. Now, I haven't gone as far as like cutting toothbrushes in half to reduce the, the poundage, and some people do that. And that, that I, I respect that, but I think that takes a little bit of the joy out of things. But, you know, it's, it's very exact. But I think I could take a, I could take a lesson from my, how I've packed for travel and the kind of relationship that I have to my own things. Well, it's interesting that your travel metaphors are slightly different than mine because I'm thinking, saw your toothbrush in half. Who does that? Well, you're a walker, right? right. So right. You're, you've done a lot more long distance walking than me. I've probably been to more countries than you, but you've done more long distance walking. And so that's a normal thing that you've, every third hiker you meet has sawn their toothbrush right. in half because they've done that. But or, or like take the cardboard tube out of the roll of toilet paper because right. that adds up. I mean, there are just so many ways that you can do it and that's kind of fun, but that can be the thing that you get focused on as opposed to, I mean, there's a happy medium between an unwieldy, really heavy backpack and like so spare that you are thinking about cutting back on calories, Right. you know? Um, and I'm not saying that we have to have the leanest home, but you know, we don't have to have a really unwieldy home. There is, there is joy and beauty and balance as well. Well, I think so. Um, Although number five, I'll bring in number five and then we can talk about everything collectively is don't set limits. And I was just thinking setting limits could be ultra light all the time. Always saw your, your toothbrush in half. Well, maybe you don't set limits. Let me read don't set limits and then let's see how we can fold it into what we've already talked about. This is what I wrote 10 years ago. Travel has a way of revealing that much of what you've heard about the world is wrong. Your family or friends will tell you that traveling to Colombia or Lebanon is a death wish, and when you go to those places, you'll have your mind blown by the friendliness, beauty, and new ways of looking at human interaction. Even on a day-to-day -day level, travel enables you to avoid setting limits on what you can and can't do. 
on the road, you naturally play games with your day, watching, waiting, listening, and allowing things to happen. There is no better opportunity to break old habits, face latent fears, and test out repressed facets of your personality. That said, there's no reason why you should confine that sort of freedom to life on the road. The same fear industrial complex that spooks people out of traveling can discourage you from trying new things or meeting new people here in your hometown. Overcoming your fears and escaping your dull routines can deepen your home life, and the open to anything confidence that accompanies travel can be utilized to test new concepts in a business setting, rejuvenate relationships with friends or family, or simply ask that woman with a nice smile if she wants to go out for coffee. I didn't have to do that with you because I found you with Bumble. And I feel bad. I sort of made Bumble fun of Bumble in episode 142, but without Bumble, we wouldn't have met. So That's true. Another free it's ad, necessary, Bumble. Thank you, Bumble, for introducing me. Necessary Kiki. evil. In refusing to set limits for what is possible on a given day, you open yourself up to an entire new world of possibility. What do you make Gosh, of that? Gosh, there's a lot. Um, I'm thinking of three different things. When I was uh, going to drama school, I did have limitations in terms of travel, but I wanted so desperately to get out of London because it was the city and we had some time. So the limitation of money um, forced us to look at maybe some less desirable, air quotes, um, destinations. Brussels was so cheap to fly to. It was like six euros or six pounds. Um, Truly, it was it was dirt cheap. So we went, and it turned out to be so much fun. I did no research. Um, we just found the crappiest little hostel to stay in, and we just had a ball. We went to a chess bar and drank delicious beer. I don't even like beer. Ate all the chocolate we could. We went to this thing called Adaminium that was like this future space age thing. It's a beautiful town in and Brussels. I, in Brussels. Mm -hmm. And we just spent a couple of days in Brussels. And I thought, wow, I'm so glad that the, the um, strictures of not having a lot of money really forced me to go to someplace other than, say, a Paris that would have been more, more obvious. Um, so that's one thing I was thinking about. And then have, we, have you talked about our Canopolis Day? No, not track. on the podcast. Is that relevant? Yeah, that, not, it's a great illustration of setting limits. But so I tell think that story, But I think please. it's both. I mean, you talk about fear in this last one. And I, we decided to go to Canopolis State Park, which is this beautiful human-made lake that has some paths and it's got some so caves. Some canyon lands and yeah. caves. For, for Kansas, I mean, right. people from Arizona might giggle at Canopolis, right. but there's some rock formations. But, and, you know, this is another thing. Like, it is beautiful. It is it's stark. It might not be as obvious, but we've talked about how Kansas has a bit of let the, you know, the redheaded stepchild syndrome. But it's it's beautiful. You just have to be. You have to have your eyes open to it. It's not going to hit you over the head with it anyway. So we decided to go on a hike already because I had heard stories that Canopolis has snakes, and I'm deathly afraid of them. Poisonous or not, you don't like snakes at all. I just don't like them. Right. I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry to all the herpetologists out there, but I don't like them. Herpophiles. Um, and so I was a little on guard to begin with. And we go on this hike. You're kind of leading the way. There's a lot of brush. It is beautiful. And we get to this cave, which you stopped and you went into it. And I was, I stayed back because I was a little freaked out. And I took a photo of you that was beautiful. Like the light was gorgeous. It was this red rock and it looked, you looked really handsome in this cave. 
And just, I was just starting to get like, yeah, okay, Canopolis is all right. And you turned and I was frozen because probably, I'm not exaggerating, that snake was maybe socially distanced, but barely. Maybe six feet away. Yeah. It, well, was, it was a Western Diamondback. We didn't know it at the time. Holy moly. I read, it looked it looked like a viper. It was it looked like it was, a rattler, but it was, it was a Western really Diamondback rattlesnake, which was actually in, artificially introduced to that part of Kansas. But um, basically, it became really hard to continue this hike I, through this beautiful part of I Kansas was, because of the snake. I yeah. was too afraid, and I admit to it. I'm not proud of it, but my fears got the better of me. You were like, "Do you want to continue?" And we went for a little bit longer. But bless your heart, you did not ridicule me. You didn't make me feel like I was a bad traveler. Or, or not brave enough. But what could have been a thwarted attempt at trying to be local tourists, we decided to, it was funny, we, we got to the crossroads to go back home, and instead of going left to go back, we were like, let's go right. And we didn't really have an agenda. It's on and the it highway. On yeah. the highway. And it turned out to be, I mean, this was, we've had so many, as we've said, we sound insufferable when we say things like that. this, but it was yet another really beautiful day that we've had together because it turned out to be us discovering, you know, these places within what, 60 miles away from your home that have been close to where I grew up, but I'd never really bothered to, or I was too busy thinking that further afield places were more exciting, but we went, we found this little covered bridge and this little walkway. In Marquette, in Kansas, Marquette, Kansas, which is sort of a little- It was little, darling. Little prairie town, it's a town where they actually gave land away a few years ago because it's sort of a, a dying town, but they made a little rails to trails hiking yeah. trail and, and a we frisbee walked on golf that. course. And it was just a beautiful fall day and the Marquette, the downtown has this beautiful little Victorian aspect to it. They've done a really good job with restoring their, their old buildings. And then we went further to Lindsburg, which is, I feel like I'm cheating on Sterling by saying how cool Lindsburg is, but it's... Sterling know. being your little college, Kansas college right. town hometown. Lindsburg being a little college town hometown, which is... They were our rivals, but it's they've done so well. Well, it's like little town. Sweden. It's right. like this little town in Kansas that has all this Swedish stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, we had a beer and a greasy sandwich and a bar out back, and that was really charming. And then we went, um, we went to Coronado Heights afterwards, and the wind was so strong it nearly toppled us off the, the little promontory. And then we went somewhere else, I think, Well, we went to Salina. We, we went looking for Thai food in, that's right. in the town of Salina. That's right, that's right. And the cook wasn't there. <laughs> right. Yeah, so it was actually, it was, a, it was a blown, I've talked about this in other contexts, you know, if, if, if I'll said it before, I'll say it again, if like the Louvre is closed, just wander around Paris until you find something interesting. Well. This beautiful canyon that we wanted to hike along came at it had odds a, it with- It had a poisonous snake six feet from your face. It wasn't like a little garter snake that was kind of being cute, doing tricks. It was there and you even said, oh, he doesn't look too happy after you took a close up of it. So we went like in Marquette, it's not as beautiful as the Canopolis Canyon, but it's a cool little walk with yeah. covered bridges and yeah. this town that I knew nothing about. And then we went to this little, little Sweden, a Swedish American town on the Kansas Prairie. And then we went looking for Thai food in a town of 50,000 people in Kansas. We failed, but it was fun. We ended up eating Korean food yeah. instead, and, and it was a good day. You know, um, and again, so the principle is don't set limits. And, and so by that same token, um, actually- There was a third thing oh, go ahead. that I thought of, and I can't, I don't know who the quote was. I have a sinking suspicion. It's Richard Rohr, because I'm signed up to his daily um, email blast 
Richard Rohr, the Franciscan priest who's written also, some interesting books. Also a Kansan. Also a Kansan, right. Um, he's, a, he's an incredible thinker, and even for people who are not, you know, don't consider themselves Christians, he just is such a humane and kind, deeply kind man. But he talked about Richard how, Rohr, we'll put him in the show notes. Keep going. Um, he, I think it was him. If it's not, then you can, someone can correct me. And it, he's not the only person who's ever said this, but the quote was about how one of the worst things that one can do is to set your sights really low. And I thought that that was a really interesting way of talking about something being negative, that actually that was to limit yourself and your thinking was, was tantamount to a sin. Not that he wasn't talking about sin, but it, just it being as bad as, as other things. And I thought that that was such a generous way of looking at possibilities for people. Mm. And I think that even not to make this too personal, but with regards to you, I didn't know that there was a possibility that there would be a Kansan who loved to travel in the way that you do. I didn't know that that was an option. In had Kansas. I, in Kansas, right. of all places. And, you know, that's not to say that we, we've got tons of other things in common, but I I think I set my limits or my, my heights too, too low with regards to other people. So I'm glad that we... Thank you, Bumble, once again, for letting us meet. No, I, I've, I've always thought that maybe I would meet a Kansan who loved to travel, but not in Kansas. Right. <laughs> right. So the fact that we met in Kansas during a pandemic is, there's almost a travel metaphor there about wherever you are, like if, if you miss the bus to the big festival in Rajasthan and you're stuck in a town you know nothing about, well, maybe you can meet the travel equivalent of your soulmate in that town, right? You know, that, Or maybe you can really meet an interesting local. I mean, it's just that notion of, okay, the line in in Amsterdam for the Anne Frank Museum is too long and you've got one day violating a couple of rules there already, but that happened to me. And I ended up having not one, not two, but three awesome <laughs> um, uh, pancakes. <laughs> so there you go, that just shows you what, where my heart is. So instead of Anne Frank, you found delicious I will food. go back to the Anne Frank Museum, but you know, their pancakes there are pretty great. I think food is, at home or while traveling, it's always, it's an easy reward. You have to eat, right? So part of our adventure in Kansas was the Thai food that didn't quite work out right, right after the, the greasy sandwich at the Swedish bar, right? right. Um, so I love it. I, I, I like the idea, and that's almost too perfect for us, like the don't set limits. As a traveler, don't set limits at home and don't set limits on who you could meet on Bumble during a pandemic at home. <laughs> Pretty soon you're, you're road tripping with him to Colorado the day after Christmas, arguing on whether or not you can call your fiance your wife. That's right. Because you don't like the word fiance. With a, with a yowling cat in the background. Is our cat? Our cat, our cat is falling, finally falling asleep. This has been Deviate with Rolf Potts. More about everything that was just mentioned can be found in the show notes at deviatedrolfpotts.com. This show... I'm actually winging it. This is just coming from memory. This show well done. was produced by myself and Justin Glow, who you've met. You've met Justin. Justin is a great guy. Shout out to his uh, his channel. Shout out to Justin's uh, YouTube channel, which I'll put in the show notes at deviatedrolfpots.com slash deviatedrolfpots.com slash Is there anything else? What do I say on my outros? Um, uh, this has been Deviate. Thanks for listening. Cedar um, oh, Van Tassel does the theme music. right. Thanks Salvi for listening. Salvi the cat did the ambient cat meows. Salvi the cat did the meowing noise. He's asleep now. Yeah. Uh, 
Uh, thanks for listening, and I hope you tune in for more episodes of Season 4, which will not be weekly, but be enough to be interesting in the year 2021. Thank you for listening for DBA with Am I repeating myself? You are. Maybe I should just stop talking.